by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Happy Lent, Vicar. How you doing? Very good. Happy Happy Lent. Is that the right thing to say? Yeah, yes, that is. It is. I repentant it is. Lent. Yeah, uh, uh, repentant joy. Repentant joy. That sums up Advent and Lent all together. How are you? This uh, fine, right smack dab in the middle of Lent Sunday, Pastor. I'm doing very, very well. I love Lent, and I'm looking forward to the Easter season and Easter Vigil and Holy Week. Those are my uh, favorite times the whole year. You know that uh, Garrison Keeler, who uh, finds great joy in mocking Christians, Garrison Keeler uh, likes to mock Christians and especially Lutheran Christians. For Garrison Keeler, he meant it to be a uh, real, real negative when he said, for Lutherans... Every day is Lent. And uh, what he meant for evil, um, properly understood, it is good. Because during this Lenten season, we focus even more sharply and even more clearly on the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What an awesome gift that God has given us and what a great time for us to meditate on the passion the love, the sacrifice, the forgiveness that comes in and only in Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the third Sunday in Lent. Oculi or Oculi, however your Latin translation is. And you may, if you've had some, uh, some vision problems, you may go to an ocular surgeon My eyes are ever toward the Lord. That's where we get uh, this uh, uh, name for this particular Sunday. So we're going to talk about where our eyes are looking and where our eyes are going. And the introit for today is selected verses from Psalm 25. Uh, Did we make a mistake here, Pastor? Selected verses from Psalm 25. It seemed like the introit for the second Sunday in Lent was selected verses from Psalm 25. It's just uh, that good of a psalm that uh, we need to use it and hear it more often than just once. And uh, even this particular uh, section of it is going to focus our attention on a completely different direction than last week's did. Last week was remember, remember, remember. And uh, today we have Again, selected portions of Psalm 25. Vicar, take it away. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. 
for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. All right, so here we have the psalmist who really sounds to be in a world of hurt. He is uh, confronted by all kinds of problems. Uh, Let's see here. Just a, a little bit of a laundry list. I am lonely. I am afflicted. Uh, shame, my enemies exult over me, my troubles uh, are enlarged, distresses, affliction, trouble, uh, shame, in need of refuge. Wow. Um, Pastor, what's going on here in this uh, particular psalm that these selected verses are put together for us? Well, uh, the psalmist here is writing, um, talking about the reality of being a sinful human being living in a sinful world. Uh, We do sin, and the sin brings shame and distress and trouble. Uh, We do wrong uh, against our neighbors and against our God, and uh, the result is all these challenges. And what's more, let's just not leave it at that. Let's also realize that because we live in a sinful world, that our neighbor does wrong against us and sins against us and does wrong against us. And that reality is something we are going to deal with uh, from the moment of our birth until we leave this world and die uh, and enter in the world to come. And as a result, the uh, psalmist is putting into words the uh, struggles and challenges that we all will face uh, by repeating those phrases. Okay. We've got this uh, eyes. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. Vicar, I want to ask you a, a farming question here. Now, let's pretend that you don't have one of those fancy planters that is completely computer-operated, and you're just sitting in the tractor uh drinking Coke and listening to the radio, and the computer is doing all the work. Let's pretend that you have one of the older tractors, not computer-driven. You've got one of the older planters, and you are given the task of planting this particular field. Now, you know that more corn goes into a row that is not straight, but your dad has demanded we will have straight rows. What do you do as you are driving the planter? What do you do so that the rows are straight? Because if the rows are crooked, you're not going to be able to cultivate. If the rows are crooked, it's going to be more difficult to harvest. Straight rows are important. What do you do specifically with your eyes to keep the rows straight? Well, the first thing you have to do is find a point to drive towards for your very first round. Uh, normally it is a power post and you have a little triangle on the front of your tractor and you make sure that little triangle is facing towards a power post the whole entire time while at the same time having the arm on your planter down which has a little disc on the end of it which forms a line uh, halfway out into the middle of your next row and then when you turn around you don't have that power post anymore 
you have this little disc line. And so you get that silver star of your tractor and put it on that disc line and stare at it for hours on end to make sure that everything is straight and narrow. Okay, one more thing there, and you've described it beautifully. Uh, painting a word picture is what's needed on the radio. So you did that. You pointed, painted that uh, well, even for somebody who's never been on a tractor. Uh, because we've all driven by and seen how the tractors work, so you know, you know that. What happens, Vicar, if instead of looking at the power pole or keeping that power pole lined up with that spot on the tractor, or after you've turned around, instead of looking at that disc line, what happens if you start looking for baby pheasants over in the ditch? Or what happens if you start looking at your cell phone and reading text messages from your used-to-be girlfriend, now wife, Gretel? What happens to that row? Uh, it starts to go zigzag here, there, and everywhere, and it's not very pretty to look at anymore. And uh, when it's very first in the ground, you might not notice it, but as soon as those rows start coming up, you're going to hear something from your old man. <laughs> okay, so where I went through all of that on purpose. Where you fix your eyes is important. Where you fix your eyes in times of trouble is doubly important. We have some word pictures that are going on and on here. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Pastor, if my feet are caught in a trap, if my feet are caught in a net, if I have tripped and tangled over some rope or something uh, while I'm fishing or whatever, my eyes are going to be on the trap. My eyes are going to be on the rope. My eyes are going to be on that thing that has me trapped. Why is this such a crazy thing right here, Psalm 25, verses 15 and 16, the antiphon, the first verses in our introit for the third Sunday in Lent? Well, if your uh, uh, feet are caught in a net fishing here in Nebraska, your eyes are going to be on the game warden before you know it, too. Um, <laughs> okay. Our, uh, Touché. Our, it's weird because we would be looking at how we can get ourselves out of things. We'd be trying to untangle the, uh, the lines or the rope from our toes and from our feet, uh, get ourselves free. Um, and instead, uh, what the psalmist says is that our eyes are fixed on God, which means what? He will take our feet out of the net. He'll rescue us. We're watching him because our salvation is not in us, but rather in his rescue. Uh, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ or come to him, but the Holy Spirit calls me, gathers me, and enlightens me, and gives me those gifts. And that's the idea that is the being taught by the psalmist here. I'm really glad you went to the third article of the Creed there. Because it goes against all reason, all logic, all common sense. If you are in a problem, if you are tangled in a tangled web of sin or whatever, you know, here the fowler's snare, the fowler's net, um, if you are tangled, common sense would tell you, you have to look at it to see where you're caught, where you're tangled, what you need to do, what you need to do and the psalmist is teaching us that it is exactly and precisely at those times when we need to get our eyes off of the problem and to put our eyes on the solution to the problem 
and the solution to the problem, whatever that problem is, is the Lord. The next plea, the next cry, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. To be lonely and to be afflicted. They're not the same thing, but oftentimes they are two sides to the same coin. Pastor, loneliness and affliction. How are they problems that equate or are equal to being trapped in a net or a fowler's snare? Well, um, they are equal when you're if you're trapped in a net. Um, chances are good you're trapped in that net alone or by yourself. Okay. If you are uh, trapped in a net, you are definitely afflicted. Uh, we see that in our own reality, though, uh, in different ways. Uh, loneliness often comes about as a result of sin. Perhaps the people who are family members that God has given us or, or loved ones, maybe we've said something to them we ought not to have, and so they've abandoned us or won't talk to us anymore. I know that I've seen that in families where family members haven't talked to each other for 40 or 50 years uh, as a result of some sort of a challenge. Uh, affliction comes about because of our sin when we uh, deal with the struggles and, and difficulties, whether they be poverty or hunger, uh, illness or, or challenges, cancer, uh, Parkinson's, all. Alzheimer's, whatever it is, these afflictions come to us as a result of this sinful world as well. And so the psalmist is asking for God's grace because he is, those are the nets that he's stuck in, loneliness and affliction. He's by himself. He doesn't know where to turn to. There's no one else there to help him. And he is facing this challenge, whatever that is uh, in this particular psalm. Okay, so we have God teaching us to go against nature, to go against logic, to go against reason, and whatever our problem, whatever our affliction is, we should turn our eyes toward Him. What other afflictions are there? Well, there are a lot, as many as you can imagine. We're going to continue to look at our introit for the third Sunday in Lent, selected verses from Psalm 25. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. My soul, oh my soul. We're looking at the readings for the third Sunday in Lent. We're going to look some more at the introit, the selected 
portions of Psalm 25, and it just so happens that we have a lift up my soul, oh my soul, oh my soul portion here in Psalm 25. This is proclaiming the one, looking at the readings for the third Sunday in Lent, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader, privileged to serve here at Good Shepherd in Lincoln. Come join us for worship. Sunday at 8 and 10.30 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. Wednesdays during Lent, 4 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. with a fellowship meal in between starting at 5 o'clock. So, O Cully, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. God says, uh, put your reason and your common sense and your logic on hold. You're in a pro- you have a problem. You're caught in a trap. Caught in a trap. A uh, little Elvis flashback there. Um, but uh, you're caught in a trap. Don't look at the trap. Don't look at your predicament. Look to the solution. Look to God. So last time we looked at the uh, uh, lonely and afflicted uh, descriptors that are here. And then we have, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Now, common sense would tell me that I am going to look at the problem at hand. God says, don't look down, look up. Lift up my soul. How is lifting up my soul the way to keep my eyes on the Lord always? Pastor? We talked a little bit about it last week, I think. Um, when we were yeah, this at particular phrase was in last week's introit as well. And uh, that's exactly the thing is that we're saying, here we are in front of you, God. Uh, we've already said our eyes are turned towards him. And so we're saying, we're right here, our souls before you. You're the one who's in control. Show your mercy, your grace, and your care. Uh, provide for us as you have promised to do in your holy, precious word. And so... When we repeat these words again two weeks in a row, we're saying that very same fact still applies to us at this time. Uh, To you, God, we lift up our soul. Uh, We're right here. Take care of us, Lord, as you have promised to do. The next line talks about another phrase or theme that we talked about last week in great detail, and that is shame. We are ashamed when we are laid bare, whether we're physically naked or whether we are naked holding our sins on our own. When we are ashamed, when we are naked with our sins or with our problems, what do our enemies do, according to the next line? Our enemies exult over us. And and what what does that mean, uh, Vicar? When they show you all your faults, faults and throw that into your face saying look at what you've done how can you be loved uh you're no good at all and we have to sit there and say yes i am and it does bring real shame upon us and that's why we have to put our hope and trust in god the one who covers our shame isn't it amazing that when we need help and relief and comfort and encouragement the most you find out who your true friends and who your true enemies are your true enemies laugh at your predicament. They mock you. They exult over you. And they increase your pain and your shame. But a true friend, a true friend comes and helps in that predicament, covering up 
your shame. Pastor? I think perhaps a good biblical example would be after the flood when Noah's all depressed and he uh, uh, gets drunk uh, with the uh, first batch of wine that they make he after the flood. He gets drunk and runs around naked, and doesn't he? Yeah, he? he passes out naked and uh, one son, uh, Ham, uh laughs and points and tells his brothers the other two brothers they uh, put a cloak over their shoulders and they back into the room and they cover up Noah's nakedness uh, and that's the idea that this word shame carries with it Uh, we want that shame covered and not seen that is a perfect spot to go with that and a perfect example of exactly what we're talking about here the uh, the next word picture here has to do with our heart Yes, the troubles of our heart. Hopefully it doesn't skip a beat. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Now, we are not talking about uh, congestive heart failure or uh, some sort of a valve defect with a human heart. When God is speaking in this way about the heart, what are we to understand, Pastor? Uh, well, the troubles of our heart are the things that we care most about that are problems that we're dealing with, um, the things that we, uh, the people we love who are in harm, the, the things we love that are in danger of being lost or taken away. Um, that's the idea that's being done here. The troubles of our heart are enlarged. Uh, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is the uh, things that are in our heart perhaps are not what they should be, and those also are enlarged and causing problems. And so really it can come down to an understanding of what is the first commandment uh, and what is the second table of the law. Uh, The first commandment being we should have no other gods, meaning we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. He's the one who's to be in our heart. Uh, He's the one who we're to look to and care for and believe in and at the same time then also uh, God puts all those neighbors into our care as well and uh, when we're right with God we also care for those neighbors uh, as a fruit of that faith and so understanding that the commandments probably help understand what the troubles of our heart are so the troubles of our heart then if I'm hearing you correctly can really can really go in two different directions or maybe it's two sides to the same coin if we want to use that the uh, the things that are heavy on my heart, the things that are weighing my heart down, uh, my loneliness, my depression, my um, uh, uh, problems, my afflictions, those kind of things. Uh, I'm worried about my my spouse. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my country. You know, those things that are just weighing me down, heavy on my heart. And on the other side. Those things that are afflicting my heart and attacking my heart because of sin, specific sin that I am doing, I am trying to cover up, I'm trying to justify away, um, not, not the afflictions of someone else's sin that are weighing down my heart, but the guilt and the shame and the worry of actual sins that I can't get rid of on my own. When we go back to that first part... Um, He will pluck my feet out of the net. Here's what we don't often think about. We think that sometimes we get caught in a net that somebody else has put out for us. Think back to the uh, 
crazy cartoons that you've watched, like uh, Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. How many times doesn't the coyote put out a trap and then end up getting caught in his own trap? This is our sin. This is what happens to us so often. And when we keep our eyes on Christ, we're not fixated and focused on sin and plotting and evil and scheming. And when we take our eyes off, we get caught in our own net and caught in our own trap. Consider my affliction and my trouble. And that next line there, Vicar. Forgive all my sins. Whether the problem is the problem of my heart, my enlarged heart, whether the problem is the sin of others that is attacking and assailing me, or whether the problem is my own personal sin that is attacking and assailing me, and these troubles are growing and growing and growing exponentially, how is the problem Always at its root, sin and the lack of forgiveness. Well, it's sin that brings about all those things that we're talking about. If we were not sinful, we would not have any cares or worries or problems or challenges in this world. But the reality is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death, and death rears its ugly head in a variety of ways. But all those challenges ultimately are seeking to kill us and bring us to the end. Uh, And that's why uh, we have so many afflictions. And the solution then If that's the reality of what we face, the solution is forgiveness of sin. When sin is forgiven, then death is taken care of. When death is taken care of, then it doesn't show its head in all these different challenges of hunger, sickness, suffering, or whatnot, and we have peace before God. And so that's why those two things go together, and really the ultimate solution to every problem is Jesus crucified and risen to take away the sins of the world because He's the solution that's overcome the world. That trap that we are caught in is sin. The answer is Jesus. Get your eyes off of your own problems. Get your eyes off of the trap that you are caught in. Get your eyes on the solution, and that is Jesus. Lift up your soul to him. Cling to his words. Cling to his promises. And remember, why did Jesus come? He did not come to be your coach. He did not come to be your cheerleader. He did not come to be your buddy. Jesus came to be your Savior, your real Savior from real sin that causes real affliction. During this season of Lent, we can be honest. We can be honest about the reality of our sin because that allows us to be honest about the reality and awesomeness of our Savior. We did it last week. We'll do it again this week. Um, The gradual is a portion of Psalm 9. Vicar, you want to share those two verses there and uh, show us how this ties into our general theme. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. We are constantly assailed by the devil, the world, and our flesh. So often, when we are navel-gazing and fixated on our own problems, 
We think there is no way out. We lift up our soul to God. God teaches us, reminds us that he is the ultimate victor. And all those who plan on attack my enemies, they will get caught in their own trap. They will stumble and and perish before your presence. To be in the very presence of God. That's where we're going to go with our gospel reading for the third Sunday in Lent. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 28. These gospel readings during our Lenten season are anything but simple. They are challenging and they are fun. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Albert Bader. We serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, 3825 Wildbriar Lane in South Lincoln. Come join us for worship Sundays at 8 and 1030, Wednesdays during Lent, 4 and 630 p.m., fellowship meal in between. Every worship service that we do is live on our radio station, 95.7 FM, and you can check us out on the website, on the archives, www.thecross957.org. We'd love to hear back from you, and we really, really appreciate the feedback and the encouragement that we get for this Proclaiming the One program. In our first two segments, we looked at the introit for the third Sunday in Lent, selected portions for the second week in a row of Psalm 25. We have a little extra emphasis and a little extra look at our introits during this Lenten season. Uh, they're rich, they're full, and we've never done that before here at Good Shepherd. So our uh, Wednesday Lenten theme is uh, centering around those introits. Now we want to take a look at the gospel reading for the third Sunday in Lent, Luke eleven fourteen to 28. Last week we had that... Uh, 
interesting discussion between Jesus and uh, the woman, the Seraphonician woman, they ended up calling a dog. Well, we've got another challenging text here before us today, and we pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would enlighten us. Vicar, take it away. Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds a house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Luke eleven twenty eight, a great verse that ends this uh, particular gospel pericope. I know several people that have this as their confirmation verse as well. Great, great Bible passage there. But we got to go a long ways before we get there. Luke 11, we know that Jesus at the end of Luke 9 has uh, set his face like flint, like steel, toward Jerusalem. He is now making his uh, journey to the cross and empty tomb where he will offer his life and lifeblood for the salvation of the world. Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. We have a little wordplay going on here between being mute and speaking. Thoughts on this particular miracle, which uh, really is the backdrop for the longer conversation that goes on in this pericope. Pastor? Yeah, I'd say this particular healing of a demon is is it's just kind of mentioned, and it's real quick, this is what happened, but it's not the meat of what this particular pericope is. A uh, demon here has stopped a man from talking, prevented him from proclaiming God's word or anything else, and uh, Jesus takes care of that problem so that the man can now speak, uh, and you can imagine what that man was saying then at that time, uh, Jesus saved me from this demon 
uh, praise be to God. And uh, in the same way, we are uh, born sinful, and when uh, the Holy Spirit comes to us, we cannot help but confess the reality of who Christ is. The people marveled. However, some of them did not like what was going on. Now, unlike some of the other miracles of Jesus, this did not happen on a Sabbath, uh, but they were still looking for ways to complain about Jesus, who he is and what he does. So they attack his power and authority. And it's, it's what seems to me to be the two specific areas here where they are attacking. And I'd love to hear your, um, your reflection on that, Pastor. Yeah. Some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of de- demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Well, you would think that the miracle, the healing was the sign. What more did they want? Pastor, what is happening here? What are they actually complaining about? Yeah, they're trying to figure out which team he's on, right? Are you, and this is just an example, are you a a Democrat or a Republican? Are you a ah. Sadducee or a Pharisee? Are you a uh, for us or against us sort of thing? And so you have those who are, are trying to say, no, he's not on our team. He, he's on Satan's team. He's on Beelzebul's team. Beelzebul being a, a Canaanite god, uh, Baal of the heavens. And then the uh, Hebrews changed a couple letters and turned it into Lord of the Flies instead. Uh, and so uh, obviously he's on Satan's team. He's not on our team. And some of the other ones said, well, if you're on our team, show us by a sign from heaven. Uh, you know, bread from heaven or uh, a cloud and thunder and lightning. Whose team are you on, Jesus? Okay, so we have this power and authority question. This is what they are attacking in Jesus. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Vicar, how did Jesus know their thoughts? Uh, because he is God, so he is able to know their thoughts and everything that goes on in there, all the scheming that they're trying to do behind their back, behind his back to trick him and find a way to put him to death, Jesus knows. Okay, so uh, remember our whole season of Epiphany. The, the main theme of our season of Epiphany is that Jesus is who he claims to be. God in the flesh. We're not going to leave that behind. Jesus... Unlike the rest of us, we don't know what people are thinking. We can only wonder what people are thinking. But Jesus knows their thoughts and acts accordingly. And so Jesus, knowing that they are questioning his authority, questioning his power, Jesus responds, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan, it sounds like he's quoting Abraham Lincoln here, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. yeah, boy, Jesus is really smart. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will this kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? They, therefore, they will be your judges." And I think that's a good place to take a little bit of a a break there in Jesus' words. So what in the world is Jesus teaching here with this whole divided kingdom speech? I think there's a lot of things and a lot of layers and levels, but primarily he's saying 
Uh, if you think I'm on Satan's team, why am I kicking out Satan? Wouldn't I appreciate the fact that he is uh, embedded in this mute man or any other demon-possessed man? Wouldn't that be a benefit to him? So if I'm kicking him out, then I'm obviously uh, fighting against my own team. It's like the um, football player who uh, gets the fumble and runs it back 80 yards to the wrong end zone. Uh, is that who you think I am, Jesus is asking? Of course not. Um, if Satan's divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? Uh, he he's being very clear about which team he's on. He's on the team of God, and that's the reason he's kicking out these demons. And it begs the question then, if I'm on God's kingdom, why don't you believe in me? The uh, That is the ultimate question. If I'm, I'm teaching you that I am on the right team, and yet you, for some reason, continue to reject me. And so the problem is not with me. The problem is with you. Now, you brought up before, uh, Pastor, and I'm, I'm going to dally into some dangerous waters here, but uh, you brought up before the, uh, the very serious divide that we have in our country with regard to the political parties, Democrat, Republican, uh, teabagger, tea party, independent. You know, you got all this kind of stuff going on here, and... One of the problems is, just like in our text, people will not listen and people will not talk. People will not dialogue. People will not admit that somebody, possibly on the other party, might have something good to say. And I think that's the second layer here that we have to understand from history. History. Uh, Forty years after Jesus speaks these words uh, to the people of Israel and Jerusalem, uh, the Romans are invading after a rebellion and the people retreat into the fortresses of Jerusalem and they can't even keep themselves united then. There is one group of rebels that controls the Temple Mount. There's one group of rebels that controls Mount Zion. They can't coordinate with each other. They can't man a defense around all the walls. The uh, people even within the city of Jerusalem are divided. And what's the result of their division inside of uh, the city of Jerusalem? The Romans come in and kill millions and uh, lead them off to be crucified or as slaves. And uh, it's a terrible, terrible day as a result of that division within their own house. Every sports coach and every T-ball junior high athlete knows united we stand, divided we fall. You take a look at any team, no matter how great their talent is, whether it be the uh, Los Angeles Lakers or uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, it is irrelevant how much individual talent you have. If you do not play as a team, if you are not united, you will fall, and you will fall and fail miserably. Jesus is teaching on that level Christians how to live, how to work, and how to attack Satan, who is the father of all lies. Yes, Lord of the Flies, too, but he is the father of all lies. Lies that attack Christ, lies that attack salvation, lies that attack the very forgiveness of sins that all of us need so desperately. We're, I think this is a good place for us to take a, a break. When we come back, we're going to look again at the last half of our gospel reading. 
Luke 11, 14 to 28. And we are going to pick up with verse 20 and the finger of God. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the third Sunday in Lent. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the third Sunday in Lent. In this final segment, we're going to be looking at the second half of our gospel reading, Luke 11, 14 to 28. We stopped at verse 19 where Jesus said, If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out. Therefore, they will be your judges. What about this question that Jesus asks the, uh, oh, the Pharisees, the scribes, those who are against him, um, by whom do your sons cast out demons? Therefore, they will be your judges. What's happening here, Pastor? Yeah, I think that's uh, an interesting question and one that probably takes a little bit of thinking and study to figure out. Um, If I cast by Beelzebul, whom do your sons cast them out? That's the question that Jesus asks. And then he goes on with that statement, they will be your judges. That is saying that the next generation, looking back on this, will understand more clearly than the people he's talking to at that time. And I think that that's pointing us ahead to the cross of Christ where Jesus will suffer and rise. They'll see that, and in fact, large numbers of Jews after that become Christians and look back and say, oh, he is on our team. He is a uh, servant of God at the very least, and as we know, he is God himself. And and so I think that's how that whole thing can be taken and understood, that the, the children of these people will understand what these adults at this time are not. Okay. And Jesus now count, uh, contradicts or counters that there are basically two options that are happening here with regard to the way Jesus is casting out demons. He is either casting out demons by the power of the devil, or he is casting out demons by the power of God. You can't have it both ways, folks. You have to make a choice. Is Jesus in league with Satan, or is Jesus who he claims to be, the very Son of God in human flesh? But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I think that is the key passage in this entire pericope. And we have Jesus using a phrase, finger of God. 
Now, we're not going to get to the Old Testament reading from Exodus chapter 8. It is uh, Moses and Pharaoh and the plague of flies. It's uh, really kind of neat that when we're talking about Satan as the Lord of flies, we have, uh, we have the plague of flies here. That is, uh, that is really great. But the, uh, that phrase, finger of God, is in that Old Testament pericope in Exodus chapter 8. Um, let's see here. It's in uh, verse 19. Thank you. Pharaoh very... says, this is the finger of God. Sorry, the magicians say to Pharaoh that. Yes. So the magicians say to Pharaoh, they can't match this particular trick, this magician's trick. And they've been able to do it pretty well up until this point. And they surmise that because they cannot match what, uh, God is doing in in and through Moses, that it's not Moses doing it. This is not some magician's trick. This is the finger of God. Now, it is no accident and it is no coincidence that Jesus uses that term, finger of God, in this particular text. Why does he use it, Pastor? Well, it's exactly uh, what you've just said. The Old Testament lesson talks about the plague of gnats and the plague of flies. Beelzebul is uh, the, the, it's the Hebrew way of saying uh, Lord of the flies. And so Jesus is not on that team, uh, but yet he still has the authority over that. If he's doing things by the finger of God, he's the same God who's doing things in the Exodus. Um, Jesus is being very clear about who he is. He is the Father, or not the Father, he's the God from the Old Testament uh, who appeared in the burning bush, who led the people of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea by the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. He's the God who provided bread in the wilderness, all these things, that phrase, finger of God connecting to the Old Testament, and the idea of flies and gnats connecting to the Old Testament tells us Jesus sees himself, at least, as the fulfillment of the book of Exodus. Okay, so Jesus as the fulfillment of the book of Exodus, and I've said this on many, many occasions. If you know the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus, then reading the Gospels will just take on a whole new dimension and a whole new perspective as you see the words and the phrases and the illustrations coming alive. Uh, We modern Christians, we we miss out on so much simply because we're ignorant of God's Word, especially God's Word in the Old Testament. Vicar, I want to ask you, Jesus says, uh, you know, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, if I really am God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. There is a lot of talk in all four of the Gospels about the kingdom of God coming, the kingdom of God being in our midst, the kingdom of God happening. What is this kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about here and in other places in the Scriptures? He's talking about him being God, being physically with these people at that time. The kingdom of God is on earth. The Lord who lives and reigns throughout all eternity, who is in heaven now, who was in heaven in the Old Testament time, and even come down to earth to help and lead his uh, people of Israel through the wilderness and all that. He is the God who has all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth, and he is here with us now. He had come upon them, and why? 
Of course, this is looking forward to what he is going to do on the cross to save his people from their sins. But also, for those who will not believe, the kingdom of God is upon you. This is judgment language. Okay, so could I simply say that when I see these kingdom of God is upon you uh, phrases that we're talking about the incarnation? Yes. Yes, okay. So how would I say that then? Uh, You know, you said now Jesus is in heaven. Well, I thought the kingdom of God was among me now. Uh, Is Jesus stuck in heaven or help me sort that out? Jesus ascended into heaven so that he might fill all things. That's what Paul tells us. And also, uh, we have great illustrations throughout the Old Testament about uh, the temple in Jerusalem being the footstool of God. And so we literally see a picture of heaven being God's throne room, but he is so great and so mighty that his feet are coming down and touching earth. So he's in heaven and on earth at the same time, and that is what he still is for us today. And really present in that incarnation in word and sacrament and uh, the importance of the divine service. We're not going to dwell there, though. Uh, Pastor, strong man. We got the strong man, we got the stronger man, we got the uh, unclean spirit, we got waterless places, we got a house swept and put in order. Um, we got about five minutes on this segment left. Can you <laughs> can you just kind of summarize this particular illustration that Jesus is using and what in the world does it have with Jesus and the finger of God casting out demons. Yeah, there's a lot here, isn't there? Um, the strong man, the first strong man, uh, and the other stronger one, uh, we're talking about the uh, dis, uh, the fight between Jesus and Satan and how Jesus is ultimately more powerful than Satan and will eventually overcome him, kick him out, take him away so he has no power or authority. So can we equate that to the uh, like the temptation in uh, at the beginning of our Lenten journey when Satan comes and tempts Jesus and Jesus is the stronger man and uh, gets uh, cast Satan away but we know he's coming back. Well, um, I would say we can equate it to the fight between Jesus and Satan, but when Jesus finally does his stronger man work, if you will. Uh, he's going to put Satan in a place where he won't be able to come back Aha. ever again. Okay. Um, and I would say this is more baptismal language here, where Jesus in the waters of baptism is um, grabbing Satan, tying him up, kicking him out of you. In fact, in the old baptismal rites, uh, there was a um, exorcism that took place in the baptism. We still have a little bit of that left when we say, do you renounce Satan and all his works and all his ways? That's the remains of an exorcism that used to take place at every single baptism. Unless you think Pastor Moline and all Lutheran pastors go crazy with this uh, uh, baptism imagery and metaphor, that is uh, exactly what we're talking about here with the waterless places. That is the baptismal reference that is here so he didn't just pull that out of thin air it's in the text and that's where i was going to then you have these waterless places places uh, or people if you will that have not received holy baptism and the unclean spirits wander about from person to person place to place in that way and they finally decide to go back to the one they started at and here's 
part of the key here as well. Uh, we, we don't believe that you can be baptized and never go to church again and still be a Christian. Be like planting a seed and uh, never watering it. Uh, you need to continually be in the Word, receive the gifts, and have the Holy Spirit uh, call and uh, enlighten you with His gifts and live within your heart, if you want to use the uh, modern terminology, uh, so that your heart is not empty. And so that when that demon comes back and checks on things, he cannot come back to live and stay with you. And that's the the same thing earlier. The strong man um, is kicked out by the stronger man, and you got to keep on feeding the stronger man so that he stays there with you to keep the other guy out of your house. Okay, very good. That's a great word picture here. And that that leads into that final that final thought. Jesus is talking about the importance of, of having Jesus in your life, in your mind, in your heart. He's talking about faith. And uh, as God has delivered the Good Friday and Easter salvation of Jesus to us in the waters of holy baptism, this is not some sort of once saved, always saved nonsense. This stronger man needs to be continually fed, and uh, that faith needs to be nurtured and grown inside of us. We, we apply that water uh, not the waterless places, but we apply that water every time we remember our baptism, which is simply nothing more than contrition and repentance, part four in Luther's small catechism. And if we don't, we're worse off than if we would have never believed in the first place. And then the clincher is at the very bottom line. As Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Uh, for lack of a better way to say this, someone heard all of this, misunderstood Jesus, and said, Let's worship Jesus' mom. We know that there are many Christians that have fallen for this trap today. Many of our friends in the Roman Catholic Church at least give the appearance that they are placing more devotion toward Mary, the mother of our Lord, than to the Lord who is incarnate and has worked and earned salvation for us. So rather than, hail Mary, full of grace, hail Jesus, God in the flesh, for us. Jesus countered and said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Pastor, what do you think of my uh, my Mariology there with the last two verses? I always think this particular passage is very clear that our faith and worship uh, should be in Christ, and the way that that happens is by being in the word of God, uh, not by talking to uh, Mary or any of the other saints or anything like that, but rather if we hear the word of God and keep it, uh, we have God's blessing. Vicar, we're going to bring this session to a close. You want to pray the collect for us? Let us pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. This is Proclaiming the One, third Sunday in Lent. Sunday's coming. Get up, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastor, go to church. Thanks be to God. Have a great day. See you again next week. See you.